All right, we are back. I have an item here from the hypocrisy file we should start with. Apparently, Elton John created a head-scratching moment uh, last week when he performed at the wedding of conservative rock talk show host Rush Limbaugh. According to E! Online, the 63-year-old singer and outspoken gay rights advocate reportedly put politics aside for a $1 million payday and played his hits for a crowd of 400 conservative heavy hitters that included Carl Rove and Sean Hannity. And if you're keeping score, this is Rush Limbaugh, Family Values Advocates, Fourth Marriage. And some follow-up on uh, the retirement of Helen Thomas, as noted on Truth Out, article by William Rivers Pitt. Said Rivers Pitt, I refuse, I absolutely refuse to let this one incident become the thing everyone remembers about Helen Thomas. That would give cover to the mainstream press cretins who always wish she would go away because she exposed them for what they really are. Frauds, mouthpieces, dupes, willing participants, colluders, conspirators, traitors. That's what much of the press became over the last 10 years, but not Helen Thomas. Much of the outrage directed at Thomas today isn't based on her comments about Israel, but are instead a barbaric yap from a pack of liars who are thrilled to see her gone, as it means they no longer have to look at themselves in that mirror she held up with her life, her career, and her uncompromising way of speaking actual truth to power. He then quotes from an article by her, saying that articles like this made her colleagues in the media squirm and blush. And well, they should, because in this, she was exactly correct. Helen Thomas. Of all the unhappy trends I've witnessed, conservative swings on television network, dwindling newspaper circulation, the jailing of reporters, and spin, nothing is more troubling to me than the obsequious press during the run-up to the invasion of Iraq. They lapped up everything the Pentagon and White House could dish out, no questions asked. The naive complicity of the press and the government was never more pronounced than in the prelude to the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. The media became an echo chamber for White House pronouncements. For example, at President Bush's March 6, 2003 news conference, in which he made it eminently clear that the United States was going to war, one reporter pleased the born-again Bush when she asked him if he prayed about going to war. And so it went. After all, two of the nation's most prestigious newspapers, the New York Times and Washington Post, had kept up a drumbeat for war with Iraq to bring down dictator Saddam Hussein. They accepted almost unquestioningly the bogus evidence of weapons of mass destruction, the dubious White House rationale that proved to be so costly on a human scale, not to mention a drain on the Treasury. The Post was more hawkish than the Times, running many editorials pumping up the need to wage war against the Iraqi dictator, but in both, newspapers played into the hands of the administration. Added Rivers Pitt, One stupid comment cannot wash away 60 years of credibility and honor. One stupid comment cannot wash away the fight she waged against the Bush administration's criminal campaign on Iraq. One stupid comment cannot wash away the fact that by her very existence, Helen Thomas exposed the mainstream media for what they are. And no matter how vigorously they jump on her today, they all know the blood remains on their hands. He concluded by saying, I'm sorry she said what she did. It was very stupid and perhaps even justifies the termination of her six-decade career. That, as I said, is for others to decide. 
I stand today to remind any and all that one bad act does not erase a lifetime of excellence. She's gone, and perhaps rightly so, but we were a better country while she labored for us. When she asked the tough questions, when she asked the tough questions, and when she stood before the powerful and called them liars to their faces. Thank you, Helen Thomas, for everything. Added Dana Milbank from the Washington Post, Helen will be missed. Today, too many Washington reporters are social climbers who cozy up to the White House officials and see questioning the president as a chance to grab some TV time. No one, perhaps, will duplicate Thomas's crabby, unrelenting hostility in the briefing room toward both Republicans and Democrats. But the media needs more journalists who share her core belief that everyone standing on that podium should be regarded with skepticism. Anyway, let's spend our last few minutes on lighter fare, shall we? How about this? There's some talk about expanding the Pac-12 and including the University of Texas. Possibly also Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. What, what is wrong with these people? Okay, I admit when Arizona was added to the Pac-8, they didn't have a Pacific coastline. But there's really no way you can mix Texas up with Pacific. There just, there just isn't. Yeah, in other news, Fresno State attempting now to enter the Ivy League. Wait, here's what we do with this news story. And in other absurdist stories, how about this one? There's a movie out called Prince of Persia. I guess it's based on a video game. But the part I like, playing the lead role in the Prince of Persia is Jake Gyllenhaal, who is of Swedish and Russian-Jewish ancestry. I mean, I know the guy's got a little color in his skin, but, you know, this guy is not even remotely Persian. I think, Mr. McMillan, you and I are going to have to go out to our hair cutter, who is of Persian ancestry, and see what she's got to say about this. Absolutely. And speaking of absurdity, the World Cup is on again. <laughs> if you guys could just save up your hate mail for the end, that would probably be best. I did notice on the first day in Group A, South Africa and Mexico played to a scoreless tie, which was matched by Uruguay and France, also playing to a scoreless tie. That's uh, four teams, three hours of sports, and nobody scoring. Hey, but that's just the beginning. Stay tuned. There's plenty more to come. <laughs> yeah, I, I was eating lunch the other day, and I got in, got in in about minute 78, I guess it was, of a 90 minutes of scoreless tie. I say minute 78 looked pretty similar to minute 77. <laughs> anyway, just going to close today. Note that, you know, except for the fact that it is a stultifyingly boring spectacle, perked up this year by the fact that uh, the, um, <laughs> the national horn of, of the South Africans, which sounds like a loud, annoying kazoo, presents a constant audio distraction to the otherwise uninteresting field play. So it's just, it's just, there's something for everybody here in the World Cup. And as we did four years ago, we will permit a rebuttal to my smart-ass opinions. All right, how about this story? Uh, genetic testing is going direct to consumer now through your local drugstore. This is a really dumb idea. Recent scandal here when a new company called 23andMe mixed up their lab results was pointed out by a uh, policy analyst at the Center for Genetics and Society, a nonprofit research and advocacy group, that a mistake such as the one they made would have been spotted by a doctor or genetic counselor 
whom the spokesman, Jesse Reynolds, believes should be made responsible for delivering genetic test information to avoid the risk of people making potentially harmful decisions about their health. In the recent mix-up, apparently someone named Cece Moore from San Clemente was told that her ancestry was 69% African, though the rest of her family tested 100% European. Here's a shocker buried in the story. Genetics, genetic watchdog groups criticized UC Berkeley for asking incoming freshmen to submit samples of their DNA and participate in what is believed to be the largest genetic test conducted by a university. Anyway, if the genetics test results uh, would, could translate into more effective screens so that you, you know, could pick up something earlier, this might make sense. But in a lot of cases, there, there are no such interventions. We'll return to that topic in a future show. All right, in the few, few minutes we have left, we want to draw your attention to the path of Comet McNaught, which is apparently brightening, and it's believed will reach the brightness of the stars of the Big Dipper sometime in the next week or two. If you can get a star chart and find the star Capella, which is, to, which is the first magnitude star closest to the North Pole, currently now seen in the morning skies before sunrise, go find Capella and you should find a comet, a little fuzzy spot close to it. We're going to keep our eyes peeled in the next week or two and, and uh, do what we can to help you find this spectacle in the sky. Final item from the English department. Wonderful little essay. From Should You Judge This Book by Its Cover by Julian Baghini, excerpted in the Week magazine some weeks back, noted that it's an almost universal law of folk wisdom that every proverb has an equal and opposite proverb. So you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but then again, it's never too late. And while great minds may think alike, one man's meat is another man's poison. Two heads are better than one? Yeah. Yeah, but too many cooks spoil the broth. Noted Julian Baghini, such opposition doesn't mean that the aphorisms cancel each other out, rather that each one captures only a part of the truth. Noting that wisdom can mutate into folly when it is repeated without thought or reflection. A couple examples were offered, such as All the World's a Stage by William Shakespeare. The author noted that some people spontaneously come to something like Shakespeare's conclusion at moments in their lives when, when the disconnect between... Uh, the person they feel they really are and how they have to be on a regular basis becomes too stark. Though the author noted there's a powerful ring of truth in the image of putting on a mask in order to go to work or to fit in socially or even to fulfill the role your family has come to expect of you. But uh, the author asked the question, if we are always performing, don't we simply at some point become our performance? It was suggested that we should choose our roles carefully because when we inhabit them deeply, we become the characters we play. And they also quoted Neil Young's, It's Better to Burn Out Than Fade Away, which is a kind of paraphrase of Dylan Thomas's Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So the question we'll leave you with in today's show is, is it better to burn out than fade away? A lot of people would say yes. But if you ask folks how they'd like to die, most of them are going to say, peacefully, in my sleep, at a ripe old age. And I'm with them. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks to Greg Stebbin of Men's Health Magazine. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time.